The Dugout CEO Podcast is on the air. I'm Phil Van Horn, baseball lifer and fan of the Dugout CEO. Each week, Casey Cavell goes around the horn with baseball superstars, Hall of Fame coaches, and business leaders who've used baseball experience to win the game of life. Now batting, Casey Cavell. Nation, welcome to the Dugout CEO podcast. Excited about our guest today, Lee Sauls. Lee is an award-winning sales keynote speaker, sales management strategist, and six-time best-selling author. Lee, welcome to the Dugout CEO. Casey, thank you so much. It's fun to be here. Yeah, likewise, and we have gotten to know each other a little bit now and having you on the show, and you're an expert in the niche of sales, so I'm excited to talk about that, but let's talk about baseball for a second. So, uh, maybe a little bit about you as a player, and then I know you have a couple boys that played college baseball as well, so let's talk a little bit about that. So baseball is a religion in our home. <laughs> we pray to the baseball gods. Um, and yes, I've got uh, two sons play college ball. My son Stephen just graduated from Augsburg University. Uh, a dad brag moment, he, uh, he only got to play three seasons because of COVID. But he's ranked fifth all time in home runs, even though he only played three years. Impressive. So, right-handed hitter, left-handed hitter. What was his kind of niche? Right-handed hitter. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So I'll, I'll tell you what led up to that. So he had decided he wanted to play college ball, and he was playing American Legion between his high school junior and senior years, and in a one-week tournament, he hit four home runs and three doubles. And we didn't have to call colleges anymore. They were, they were now coming to us. And if you think about what these college coaches are trying to do, they're trying to sell you on playing for them, right? Coming to their institution. But they can't differentiate what they're selling. They can't build a dorm. They can't add a major. They can't even change the meal plan. They're all fixed assets. But every one of them has an opportunity to differentiate the way that they're selling in the buying experience that they create. And some of these coaches, Casey, were absolutely marvelous at it, and some failed miserably. Now, you know, when you first go and visit a college, as soon as you cross the border onto the campus, you know, your blood pressure jumps about 40 points. You know why that is? It's not the tuition. It's because you can't find a place to park. Every parking lot on a college campus says, park here, and we're going to tell you but welcome to our fine institution. Well, this one school that we visited, we pull into the parking lot, and there's a spot with Stephen's name on it. Stopped us dead in our tracks. We go inside. There's an agenda for the day printed out. Stephen's name right up top. Think about the first impression we had of that university. Talk about, wow. And what did it cost to put that in place? A penny? for the paper and ink, but they made us feel special. Another school we visited was a rainy day, and the coach asked Stephen to text him when we got there, and he did. Three assistant coaches come out with golf umbrellas and escort us into the facility. We sit down with the coach. He says, I hope you don't mind, but I didn't invite admissions to join us today. I'm going to take you on the tour. Spent four hours with us that very first day. Afterwards, he was texting and emailing Stephen, not saying, hey, did you make a decision? 
getting to know them, building a relationship with them. Now, Casey, how do most people find out that they've been accepted at college? Get a letter in the mail? You get a letter in the mail. That's not how Stephen found out that he was accepted. He got a phone call from the coach saying, welcome to Augsburg University. And he accepted. Now, what's interesting is, I told you, some schools were absolutely fantastic and some failed miserably. There was one school, they said the words, hey, Stephen, we really want you here. But they made him feel like a number. The actions didn't support the words. So much so, when my younger son David went through the recruiting process, that school wasn't even on his list to consider. So this isn't a baseball story. This is really a business story. We get so busy on a day-to-day basis. It's just another call. It's just another email. It's just another meeting. We forget to make people feel special. And it's not hard to do. You just have to care. If you look at the entire journey when someone is working with your company from that first contact all the way through when they say, yes, I want to be a client, and all the support you provide afterwards, if you challenge yourself with this question, you will never make that mistake. What is it that I can do different than my competition that my buyers will find meaningful? It can't be different for the sake of different. I mean, I could have come on to your show wearing a, uh, my wife's beach hat, you know, and, and a hula outfit would have been different, not exactly meaningful for the audience. So it has to be meaningfully different. And if you look at every one of those touch points, those opportunities are there. It just requires that you care to look for it. So why do businesses, why do college baseball programs, and I think I know on the college baseball program side or even professional baseball Mm -hmm. side, because they're trying to recruit free agents. I think they do it a little bit better than probably some of the lower level colleges and such like that. But why Mm -hmm. don't they do it? Like, and that's where it's, do they really even know what business they're in? A college baseball coach like, hey, I coach baseball, but do they really? Is that really the business they're in? And do you find that in you know, business as well, where they don't really understand the business they're in? And because of that, it's hard to sell? Well, I interviewed three of the coaches that were recruiting Stephen that did it really well. And what was interesting was every one of them said, They had a prescriptive approach. None of what we experienced was accidental because they recognized when you're going after top talent, and notice I said top talent. I'm not talking baseball players. It's applicable in business. When you're going after top talent, whether that be a prospect, when you're trying to recruit a new hire, someone to join your team, or if we're talking baseball and you're talking about a high school player that you're trying to bring over uh, to play for your school, you got to make them feel special. You have to create an experience that conveys you're the only one I'm interested in right now. So let's get into that. And we can go back to the baseball stuff sure. in a little bit, because I, but I think we're on it. So, you know, you're an expert okay. in sales, six-time best-selling author, keynote speaker. Like, that's your niche. Sales is your niche. Mm-hmm. What, how would you define the word sales? And then what are all of these processes and strategies that you teach? You're probably even talking a little bit about it already, but talk to us about that. So how do I define sales? Um, there's a lot of definitions out there for sales. Some would say satisfying someone's wants or desires. And I feel that that definition is too limiting. 
Because there's a fun question I love to ask salespeople. And I've asked this question on every uh, in every country you can name, every industry you can name, every sale type you can name. And every time I've received the same answer, who knows more about the world of opportunities in your industry, you or the people you sell to? I've never had one salesperson say, oh, the, the people I sell to know much more about the world of potential opportunities in my industry. It's never happened. It's never going to happen. So we can't just rely on what someone perceives could be better or different because they don't know the universe of possibilities. That's our job. That's our job to introduce those opportunities that they didn't necessarily know of. But if our approach is to lecture, let me come in and tell you exactly what you're doing wrong. It doesn't work with the kids, does it, Casey? No. doesn't work at any level, at any age. No one wants to be lectured. So there's a technique that I teach called positioning questions. These are open-ended questions, meaning they're non-yes-no questions designed to spark a conversation about one of your differentiators that opens the door so that they want to hear what you have to say. And it's a very effective technique. If you try to talk with someone about what you offer and they're not in a receptive state, might as well talk to the wall. You're not going anywhere. So how do you get them to become receptive to it? It's, it's with the question that you've asked. So, for example, I have a client that's in the corporate property tax space. And they've found that most businesses are unknowingly overpaying for property taxes. They don't know that they're overpaying. And my client has an expertise in that space. So what we do as an opener to a conversation is that we've found that most businesses in the state of put anyone in the blank are unknowingly overpaying for property taxes. That word unknowingly is so powerful. This is something I work with tons of organizations on to put into practice. Unknowingly, if I told you you're doing something unknowingly, you're going to be like, what? Well, tell me more, right? What do you mean? And that opens the door and creates some of that receptivity. Um, but again, if you just get on the soapbox and start lecturing about your widget, your features, your benefits, you're going nowhere. You have to first spark interest. You've got to create some intrigue so that they want to hear what you have to say. So biggest swing and a misses out there for a business owner or a CEO regarding leading their sales team or a salesperson you think is what? More lecturing than asking questions? What are the other things that salespeople get wrong? So, let, so in the context that you gave is a swing and a miss is lack of clarity on your target client. There's a difference. You hear this expression of an ideal client profile. I think that's the wrong tool to have. What you need to have is a target client profile. What's the difference? An ideal client profile says, if all the stars were to align, this is the kind of business we'd like to have. It's like buying a lottery ticket. It's a one in a gazillion chance. But a target client profile says, this is who will perceive meaningful value in what we're offering. And every sales minute, every business development minute should be spent better invested in the pursuit of those opportunities. So it's designed to give them such clarity on the right businesses to pursue. So what I see is a lot of wasted sales time. 
So what happens is they chase these opportunities, they get to the finish line, and they say, oh, your price is just way too high. Well, we should have figured out the alignment between what they're trying to accomplish and what we offer very early on so that we don't get to the finish line in here. Your price is just way out of whack. You're not getting this business. We have to know who perceives meaningful value in what we're offering. Now, Casey, if your audience likes free things, I do have a target client profile tool that they can download. It's free. If they go to, this is going to be a tough URL to remember. You ready? Yep. If you go to targetclientprofile.com, it'll take you right to a landing page, and you can download that target client profile. And that will help you put together, there's nine components, but it'll help you have such clarity on who will perceive meaningful value in what you're offering. All right. It's simple. I like it because sales needs to be simple. Let's talk yes, about does. that. Should sales, I've heard this, a confused buyer never becomes a buyer or whatever. Like mm -hmm. where else do people get it wrong in the sales process? Well, let's start with the expression you just used. Where do they get it wrong in the sales process? Not having a sales process. A number one, that's, that's so much of what I do for organizations is help them to build a framework so that what success looks like is replicated continuously. So, for example, you go into a manufacturing company. They would never hire 10 people and say, manufacture a widget any which way you want. That's fine with us. Why? It's costly. It's ineffective. We're going to keep making the same mistakes over and over and over again. We're not going to develop best practices. They never do that. But then you turn your head and you say, well, here's the sales team, and we do exactly that. We say, you know, go sell some stuff. You know, you got to have some conversations. you got to have some meetings and uh, bring it home for us. No, that doesn't work. Your sales side should work just like your operations and manufacturing side. There should be a process. I'm not saying you need to give a script that they have to memorize. But there needs to be, here's how you handle discovery, that initial phase of the process. Here's how you need to handle whatever the next step might be. If it's a presentation, if it's a demo, uh, if it's a pilot program, what have you. Step by step, this should all be laid out in a playbook. So if you think about, I know we're primarily talking baseball, but if you joined a football team, you get a playbook, right? Memorize it, learn it, and if you can't do it, you're not going on the field. Same concept with sales. You need to have a playbook that says, this is how you sell our stuff. So when I hear the word process, I hear awesomeness mm -hmm. because I'm a process-oriented guy. But mm -hmm. half of the people on this podcast might cringe and say process. It slows things down. It's monotonous. It's What do you say to, no, process actually doesn't you know, slow you down. It speeds you up or it helps you get there quicker. So if you have the wrong process, then it can slow you down. The process should be founded on your best practices, what you've historically learned that works. Let's stop making the same mistake over and over and over again that we've learned for 20 years. This doesn't work. Let's institutionalize what we know works. Now, for those salespeople that are listening, we're saying, ah, no, 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 no one's going to tell me how to sell. Here's my challenge. Name a company that is considered a sales powerhouse, that hires salespeople and says, you go figure out how to sell our stuff. We're not going to tell you what to do. 
You name one company, I'll quit the business right now. You can't. Every company that is considered a sales powerhouse has laid out the game plan. They've got a framework, what I call sales architecture, a framework in place, and this is how you handle new client acquisition. This is how you handle account management. This is how you handle upselling and cross-selling. It's not left to chance. It's not left to be arbitrary. It's not left to whatever which way you want to do it. There's a plan. So they need the playbook. I work a lot yeah. with small business owners under 100 employees, yeah. under 15, 20 million in revenue. What percentage yeah. of companies do you think have that playbook, have that process, have given their sales teams the right tools and resources they need to be successful? Do you have a ballpark estimate? I will tell you the large companies out there, it's a very high percentage that do. The number that you're talking about, and I do a lot of work at that size as well, very few have it. I'll tell you the ones that do. Their CEO or their founder had a sales, man not sales, but a sales management background. So they had an appreciation for process. Those are the ones that have those types of tools in place. Um, but if they had a financial background, the CEO, I'm talking about the founder, or they had a manufacturing background, they may not have a playbook, but once I have a conversation with them about it, they're like, yeah, that's exactly what we should have. It's a no-brainer conversation. So once they hear they need it, they get it, but then why don't so many actually have this in place? They don't know how to put it in place. They don't know how to develop it. You say, great, yes, I need to have a sales process. I don't know how to put that in place. What does that look like? Be that's that's a challenge because they're an expert at whatever else it is that they did to get their business to that level correct. but this will help them get to the next level that's correct we i mean we had that in our baseball academies i remember being salesperson number one learning how to sell the memberships learning how to sell the lessons and upsell to the membership and sell the pair of batting gloves and then when i was doing in our self-storage facilities hey i want to sell the 10 by 10 unit but i also want to sell them yeah. you know boxes and then i want to sell them the insurance right. and i want to so then it's writing that down and then teaching it to other people is that like the next step it's it's having that but then creating that playbook where you can give it to other people and duplicate yourself is that what you help businesses do I do, but I go a step further. So we're talking baseball. How many guys have you seen that crush the ball in the batting cage but can't do it in the game? Yeah, they, they have a name There's for it. There's a lot. They, and they, they call them 5 o'clock hitters. They're good in the cage at 5 o'clock, but by the time 7 <laughs> o'clock comes across, they can't I have hit. not heard that one. Well, I see a lot of salespeople that can do it in practice, but – doesn't translate to the game, doesn't translate to when they're selling. And so I work with organizations to make sure that it's not just happening in the cages, it's happening in the game itself. All right, so this is gonna be interesting. So let's talk about how do you make sure you hire somebody that can actually perform in a game? Because you wanna make sure you hire somebody and they're not gonna come in and just be able to mm -hmm. say all the right things and do all the right things, but they're actually gonna be an all-star and they're not that five o'clock hitter. Yeah. How do you make sure before you hire somebody that they actually can do a great job in sales? So I'm a contrarian when we talk about salespeople. I don't believe that there's this entity called a great salesperson. And I love being taken a task on that because I can prove it. 
and I'll ask these executives, how many of these so-called great salespeople have you hired? Great track record, polished look, the whole nine yards, but they failed in your company. And every one of them has countless stories of that. If you believe in great salespeople, then you also must subscribe to one or two of the following. Either that salesperson showed up on your doorstep and completely forgot how to sell, or your company is the absolute worst company to sell for in the history of business. Which is it? The issue is the placement of the word great. We need to be looking not for great salespeople, but the right salespeople with the potential to be great in this specific role. Every sales role, it's like a fingerprint. The factors that lead to success, failure, or underperformance in it are different in every single sales role. So one of the things that I wrote about in my book, Higher Right, Higher Profits, and that I work with clients to do is before we're going to talk about recruiting, we're going to take a 360-degree look at the role and identify what I call performance factors, factors that would lead someone to be successful, fail, or underperform in the role. And then once we identify those performance factors, we put together a candidate evaluation program that will help us to identify matches or lack thereof between the candidates and those performance factors. And I'll tell you, we put that model in place and we get away. We're not looking for great salespeople. We got to find the right ones that will be great in this role. And those performance factors give us that clarity to then evaluate candidates and benchmark them. So when you have that process, you follow that process. Is there a, hey, X percent of people make it? They actually are the right fit long term for these companies? The better they align with the performance factors and say, here's what I know I need to have. I'll give you an example. There's takeaway business and there's demand gen uh, as a sale type. So takeaway means I'm manufacturing something that they're already buying today, and I'm saying they should be buying it from me. So probably not overly active as far as the buying landscape. I've got to spark interest in them taking a look at me rather than the current provider that they're working with. Demand gen is I have a new solution to an old problem. So now I'm coming in introducing a new way to solve something that they've been doing in a particular fashion. The profile of who's going to be most successful, you, if, for example, if you don't have someone that uh, has done that takeaway sale before and you don't have the ability to teach how to do that in your organization or you don't have the time, let's say we could teach it, don't want to teach it, well, then we shouldn't be hiring a salesperson that lacks that specialty, lacks that skill set, because we're not willing to teach it. They don't have it. And this is a key part of the sale. So we shouldn't be hiring that person. So if you have that alignment, you'll do great. And when you have that alignment, how do you know, I don't know, is it 30 days in or 90 days in where it's like you draw a line in the sand and it's a salesperson has to produce or it's, you know, I've always heard hire slow, fire fast, like what is your mentality of getting, keeping the right people on the bus and making sure they're incentivized and taken care of and they're not going to go somewhere else first, getting the wrong people off the bus just aren't producing? Right. Well, it's understanding what the output is of that hiring process, right? I didn't say you're going to get a great salesperson. I said someone with the potential 
to be great. So that moves to the next level conversation, which is sales onboarding. The, we now know what the output's going to be. They are arriving with potential, certain set of knowledge and skill set. We then need a bridge program, which is sales onboarding, that takes that potential and translates it to reality in the role. So that's the next phase of the conversation. Got it. And then let's say we get there. What is it on average where somebody will know, hey, they're not the right salesperson. I need to remove them and find somebody else. Like, what is that process look like? Because I always hear this. They're not mm-hmm. producing. They're not closing. And they're not doing this. Like, how do you know by data and just feel that, you know what, this isn't the right place. They're not the right person. So you probably heard the expression, if you're going to lose, lose early. So during that sales onboarding period, your salespeople are under a microscope. You're looking at everything that they're doing during that program. And one of the common swings and misses, if you will, is they treat sales onboarding as nothing but training. Training is one directional. I'm going to keep giving you information, put stuff in your hands. I'm not assessing how well it's stuck. Has mastery been acquired? So during that onboarding period, there are these milestones where you can test their product knowledge. You can see their proficiency in conducting a sales call. And I always encourage clients, you know, when when that salesperson leaves your office and they're out in the field, whatever the name of your company is, that's now their name. They're representing your brand. If they're ineffective, if they're inefficient, if they're unable to well position your company, your company is dead with that prospect for a very long time. So I'm not going to let a salesperson go and represent my brand until they've demonstrated in our four walls that they can do it adeptly. So if you connect the dots of, of what we've talked about thus far, we need to have a process that's documented in a playbook. We have clarity in who we're looking for relative to that process for hiring. We're now going to provide that playbook as part of the sales onboarding experience. We're going to train them, but we're also going to assess their knowledge and skill set before we say go represent our brand. And if you put that together as a recipe, when you talk about how do you get high performance, how do you get long retention with your salespeople, what we've just described is exactly that. And it sounds like there's a process to that and you can't skip steps because if you do step three before step one or vice versa, it just doesn't work. And I find that with a lot of businesses, it's, Hey, they're not closing. Well, have you listened to their sales calls? Have you coached them? And they don't, they don't do it. And is it because they're so busy running their business? They just don't have the time or they don't have the expertise to help them sell more. Is that what you find? Well, sales management is a skill set unto itself. And A lot of sales managers got the seat at the table for one reason. They sold a lot. And there's this thought that we're going to have disciple selling. You know what disciple selling is? I'm going to put six people underneath you, and we're going to get six times the sales. That doesn't work ever, ever. And so these sales leaders are put in this untenable position where they're now held accountable for results. But when when you were selling – You never learned how to hire, onboard, write a playbook, or any of these things that we've talked about here today, how to put together the right compensation plan. It's a totally different job. You can't get promoted into sales management. That's impossible. 
It's a job change. Promotion means it's an elevation of doing more of the same. That's not what sales management is. It's a totally different skill set. And so to your point, why aren't those things happening? Because the person that is in that sales leadership role hasn't been provided with the tools to say, this is how you effectively become a sales manager. This is great. All right. Give us that website one more time. And then if our listeners want to learn more about you, your book, everything you got going on, tell them where to go. Awesome. Thank you. So for the target client profile, go to targetclientprofile.com. Um, that's actually a forwarder to a page of my website. My main website is salesarchitects.com. So that's plural. A-R-C-H-I-T-E-C-T-S dot com. Lots of free resources there. Um, so much of what we've talked about here today is in uh, my three most recent books. So I've got two of them with me here. Actually, no, I do have three here. So the hiring and onboarding is in higher right, higher profits. The differentiating what you sell and how you sell is in sales differentiation. And then the whole concept of outsmarting, outmaneuvering, and outselling the competition is in my book, Sell Different. And that has that whole story and the strategies around differentiating the buying experience. All of them are available on Amazon or wherever you prefer to buy your books. This is awesome. I, I love how we started this conversation because it was, hey, tell me about your two boys that were college baseball players or one that just graduated. <laughs> we got right into sales and I can see how passionate you are about it. And it truly is about the experience. And I just loved how you did that. So let's talk about baseball real quick before we go. You're a dad of one that just graduated and had a really successful career. One more that's currently playing, what, Concordia St. Paul, correct? Concordia St. Paul. Um, he had not Tommy John surgery, but he had UCL repair. So he only has thrown one inning in his first two seasons at, uh, at Concordia. So we're looking forward to his junior year and getting back on the mound. You learn more. I had an injury in college as well, and you learn more just watching the game, and you appreciate it a lot more. And I've seen so many people, whether it's in yeah. baseball or it's in business, when things aren't going your way, it teaches you a lot of lessons and, and all of that kind of stuff. So what has it been like being a baseball dad of two boys that played at the college level? And any advice you would have to other baseball dads out there? Well, I'll tell you, uh, as far as the advice goes, treasure every minute because it goes way too fast. I mean, I'm sitting here going, how is Steven done? And I'm so thankful that he's playing town ball. Are you familiar with town ball? Is it like men's league or? Oh, you need, you need to look this up. Uh, this is a cultural part of Minnesota. It's called town ball. And we have stadiums all over this state that look like uh, out of the movie, a league of their own, small wooden stadiums and stuff. And, it is part of the fabric of Minnesota summer culture. Look that up. You'll, you'll get a kick out of it. The, uh, the TV stations and news stations do stories every year uh, focusing on different town ball teams. So I'm glad he's still playing because uh, I haven't seen his last hit, his last at bat. Because, uh, like I said, I, I blinked and it was done. So good. I got two small little kids and I'm trying to treasure every moment there. Sometimes I'm like, hey, I wish they could be five and play t-ball because they're one and they're two and they're in diapers. But I'm trying to treasure every moment. I'm sure just like that, they'll be in college one day. So that's really good wisdom, Lee. Um, fantastic. And I just love how we just jumped right into sales. I love your passion about it. And truly, Thank you. um, it can transform uh, a business. So this is really cool. Thank you so much 
for all the wisdom you gave can us I, today. Can I share a coaching story with you? Absolutely, 100%. Okay. So back when I was coaching my boys, they're very young. They were playing with the, the squishy ball. And I had some kids that swung really hard. Most of them swung like it was a wet noodle, you know, one of these. And I stepped away from technique and I changed our mindset. And I held up the ball and I said, what is this? And they all looked at me and they said, a baseball. I said, no, it's a tomato. And I want you to splatter it all over me. All of a sudden, these kids who were swinging a wet noodle got up there with serious face. I'm going to splatter it all over coach. Kids that were hitting the ball a couple of feet were hitting it out of the infield. There's something about mindset, and it translates to business. Uh, at some point, knowledge and skill is great, but if you don't have the right mindset for what you're doing, you'll never reach your full potential. Try that with your kids. I had some parents actually go in the backyard and took tomatoes. They took beefsteak tomatoes and had their kids swing, and it completely changed their approach to the game. So nothing about technique, nothing about style, nothing about where your hands and feet were. It was what I envisioned coming at me. That's so good. Uh, yeah, mindset is uh, so powerful. Well, this is this has been great, Lee. So many different things to uh, share in my takeaways here. And I uh, really appreciate you being a guest on the Dugout CEO. This was great fun, Casey. Thank you. Dugout Nation, wow, what a great time with Lee Siles, a sales management extraordinaire. Here are the big three takeaways that I learned from Lee. Number one, what are you going to do that sets yourself apart from the competition? Do something special. Be memorable. Don't treat your customers or prospects or employees like a number. Each person is different and unique. Connect with people. Make everyone feel special. And we often get busy. We treat every email just like it's an email or every call like it's another call. But it isn't. It's special. Ask yourself, what is it that I can do different from my competition that makes me stand out? Number two, have a prescriptive approach in the way you do business. Whether it's the way that you go after and recruit people to join your organization or company or how you go out there and try to get new business. Have a plan and a process. Make sure you have a way in which you have a process to build a relationship, earn trust, and learn about somebody's needs before you try to sell them on what you have. Asking questions in a relationship is key to building trust. No one wants a lecture. Asking good positioning questions is key, and asking questions to get people interested in what you have to say will spark their interest and make them care. Don't do what most people do and just talk about features and benefits. Have a process and a framework on how you run your business, especially in the sales process. And number three, in business, you want to have a really clear target client profile. Most people don't have this. They just have a list of clients and customers they work with, but they haven't written down who their dream client is or who they actually want to be serving. A target client profile is someone that will get meaningful value if they work from you. It should include their demographics. Who are they? Geographics. Where are they? And psychographics. What do they want? Get really clear of your target client profile and go after and find more great clients. Thank you for joining us once more for another episode of The Dugout CEO. We want to get you the tips you need to become an MVP of what you do. Sign up for our Friday Focus newsletter and you'll receive a valuable tip each Friday morning to help you build the business and life you want. You can sign up by going to CaseyCavell.com 
or click the link in the show notes. And make sure to hit the subscribe button so you get notification on our next episode. And one way you can help us book more great guests like this is to please leave us a rating and honest review in the Apple or Spotify podcasting app.